but your load and people younger than you, your toxic load is astronomical for these guys. I mean, you know, here's this little three count, three kilogram marvel. She's low to the ground. She's sucking up everything that's in the dust, that's in, in the house, that's outside. And so their level of exposure and their toxic burden is astronomically higher. I mean, we th I think we talked about that. I think the average dog has something like a 30 some odd percent higher level of toxic burden than a human and a cat has 96% higher. Mm. So they're so Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. If it's your first time tuning in, welcome. I am your host for most of these shows. I am no one special in particular. I am someone who is a graduate of the FDN program. And like many of our guests on this show, I am lucky enough to have a profound story of healing. I started my health symptoms at the age of five and by the age of 18 had over seven different diagnosed conditions, all of which I were told were separate and not really connected. <laughs> Now, that was through no one's fault of their own. I, I genuinely believe that the people who said this to me believed what they were saying. But as many of you who are probably listening to a show like this know, that's not really how health works. You don't have seven different diagnosed conditions that were just random chance things. It's most likely that something's going on in the body, multiple things are going on in the body that's leading to the manifestation of these diseases. Well, anyway, I got into natural health and healing, eventually went through the FDN program, and the FDN program is got is what got me to where I needed to go, and I'm very thankful to be able to say I don't meet the diagnostic criteria for any of those conditions anymore, and I love talking to people and interviewing them, so that's why I get to do the podcast. <laughs> With that said, our guest today is Dr. Ruth Roberts. She is someone who has has been on the podcast before. I'll have that link in the show notes, of course, so you guys can click on that if you'd like to hear her original podcast. Dr. Roberts is a veterinarian by trade. She had her own health issues, shocker for this podcast, and that helped her start thinking outside of the box. She had fibromyalgia going on, some other things, and she wasn't getting the results that she wanted using the things that she was taught, the system that she was taught in. I shouldn't say the exact thing she was taught, right? I'm sure she wasn't doing veterinarian stuff on herself. <laughs> but you get what I mean. It's that Western medicine system, that Western medicine methodology and way of thinking that she was applying, and it wasn't working. It helped her think outside the box, and then some various things that occurred with pets helped her think outside the box. And that's why she's able to do this now. She ended up creating a course. She has an immense amount of free content on her YouTube. Her email list is great, by the way. Usually people, I feel, have kind of an annoying newsletter. Hers is not that at all. I would definitely get subscribed for her just to hear what she has to say and, and what she's working on. But the, again, the most important thing today is that she has a program that is basically the FDN of pet stuff. <laughs> so she teaches you guys labs. She teaches you how to do some of the business side. She teaches us how to actually work with pets in a way that can help them get well and stay well naturally. So very congruent to what we're teaching at FDN just for pets. So this could be something that you want to do exclusively. Maybe it's your passion and you don't really want to work with us humans. <laughs> you want to work with just pets. This could be a great thing to pursue. Or uh, maybe you are an FDN already and you'd either like to use this as a new niche for yourself or maybe you want to work with the whole family and you're not just talking mom, dad, and the kids. You're talking mom, dad, the kids, 
and the dogs and the cats and the birds and the bees, maybe if they have those too. If you want to do this, then this is definitely the episode to listen to. And of course, it's not just one giant pitch of her course. It is actually a bunch of cool information, random tidbits as we go along here. But we invited her on directly to talk about her course. We want people to know about that. So that's no secret. And if you guys are interested, we hope you end up pursuing it or reaching out to her to ask more. Without further ado, let's get to today's episode. All right, Dr. Ruth Roberts, welcome back to the Health Detective Podcast. How are you? Hey, Evan, I am fantastic and really excited to be back here. We had so much fun the last time. Yeah, well, Dr. Roberts was a very popular guest, not only on the podcast, but for something called our Health Space Unmasked events. And if you guys don't know what that is, it's just something we do the first Saturday of every month at FDN. And it's it's really special because people are taking time out of their morning. I think it's like 8.30 a.m. PST, and people hop on, man. There's hundreds of people there uh, sometimes that are just engaging and engaging with each other, learning from the speaker. And what I always love is we always encourage our speakers that come to offer uh, whatever they offer to our audience, but it's such um, it's such a dense presentation first, right? It's like such a give before you take, and we really, this one was particularly interesting because I think all of us kind of have pets to some degree, um, statistically speaking, but the majority of people at least have one or two pets. And so we kind of know we should be doing the right thing for them if we're in, in this holistic and functional space, uh, but we're scared. We, we don't know how necessarily, and we're nervous. There's a lot of misinformation out there for the pets, just like there is for us as humans. And we kind of have sorted through that because we can experiment with ourselves. But, you know, the dog can't really tell you when it has a stomach ache necessarily, unless you've gotten really good and, and close with your pet. So, um, we'll be talking about the the course that you offer today and how you know we've actually had FDNs go through it, so it's really cool. One is setting records apparently for for time frame, so we'll get into that. Uh, but the the major question I have to ask first, as funny as this sounds, so we if you guys can't tell if you're watching on video by chance, I got my blue light blocking glasses on. That is because we have set the record for the earliest health detective podcast today. Doctor <laughs> Ruth and I got on at six a.m. EST because you are in. Uh, where is this again? Jablyak Montenegro. So it's noontime for me. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> um, running off 4G in the in the mountains. It's so cool. Right. So Daenerys Alps. It's I mean, it you should check out some pictures. Is it incredibly beautiful here for sure? All right. <laughs> so definitely a, a unique podcast in multiple ways than just with the location of our guest and um, the time frame of, of myself. But I, I'm high energy. I'm happy to be here. So with that said, though, last time we got to talk about all this cool. Um, well, that's what I was getting to. I'm sorry. I knew I lost something there. I, I'm not going to be as fluent as 6 a.m. I normally could go through this pretty easily. The whole reason I was telling you guys about the time frame is not just so you feel sorry for us. It is so that I could justify what happened at 5.30 today when I woke my fiance up. I'm like, I got to get up, whatever. And she was not particularly happy, but she did ask me one thing. She said, you're talking to the pet woman, right? I'm like, yes. I'm like the one that you loved last time. She's like, ask her about the ticks. <laughs> like, okay, so I promise, I promised her if I woke her up, we have to at least start with this random question. So right we on. have a tick infestation where we live. Um, we're in Southeast Pennsylvania. It is awful. This poor thing. I mean, we give him the, the shots at this point because when he runs through the grass, he'll come back with like 10. It is crazy. And maybe that's the answer. I thought your answers last time we did the show were very realistic, right? You were not, you're like us. You weren't anti-Western medicine at all. You're like, sometimes you got to use it for certain things and others, there's things that you can do more holistically. So um, without dog medical advice, with that disclaimer put on, you know, if you had a dog, and lived in a situation where there's a bunch of ticks around, perhaps you do. Are you someone that, do you just get the, the? I think it's a, I don't even know if it's a vaccine or what she does or a spray, uh, but she's using something pretty powerful. Would you do that or are there other options? It depends. So, I mean, if you, if you're in a situation where it's like, holy smokes, there's so many ticks, I would rather deal with pesticide exposure for a couple of months and then do cleanup um, than deal with Lyme or early kiosis or, you know, one of those other fun things. Yep. And in Europe, it's leishmaniasis, which I got to tell you, Lyme is bad. Leishmaniasis is horrid. So I would, what I used to recommend for my clients and use for my own pets is Seresto collars. And if you read about them, you're going to see there's a class action suit and all of that. But I think that 
frankly, it's the least amount of chemical that we saw go into the dogs. And the cool thing is, is that once the ticks die back, you just take that sucker off and pop it in a can. Now, can you use other things with it? Absolutely. So you could look at things like Baltic amber collars, zero bug zone tags, which create both of those use an electromagnetic frequency to help repel fleas and ticks. Essential oil sprays, Wonderside, all of that stuff. And I would do I would do a combination of things. And then when you see that the ticks are starting to ease back, then you take the collar off or whatever pesticide you're using and then continue with the things that are going to be not so toxic to the dog okay. and actually, you know, just do repellency. Well, that's already perfect. Thank you. I'm going to go back and then listen because there's there's several things there and we can kind of go through them together um, and figure out what would be best for us or just add things on. But that's what you just said was that realistic approach that you had last time too, which is great where, and we encourage FDNs to do this. And sometimes when they come into the course, we're in this dogma of natural medicine and we need to be you don't want to be a purist, right? Like we all have to understand that we are getting hit with stressors every single day. Like, right. and that's not to fear monger. It's just, that's the world that we live in, right? There's nothing yeah. that you can do uh, to avoid everything. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it, my gosh, you could go live in the middle of nowhere now and you got the damn Starlink satellites shooting down on you. And I'm sure that's not the worst thing in the world, but like my point no. is it's everywhere guys. So it's what? all about playing this game yeah. of weighing things out accordingly, right? Like, all right. right how far can my body push? Because to be fair, I, I think my dad's body can get away with more than I can. My dad, love him to death. And I, I, he must, I hope he doesn't listen to this ever because he's gonna be like, you need to stop telling people I smoke. Um, but he smokes two packs a day. He isn't the best with diet. You know, he lives outside, basically. He's a landscaper. So I think that helps a ton. I mean, the guy is so tan. It's not even funny. He's been doing this for decades. And I, I think that matters. But the point is, if I did the exact same life that he did, I would feel like crap. And so we need to figure out our unique things and, and what stressors can we take. And I imagine it's very similar to our pets. You know, many pets are going to take these medications and respond fine. Um, and they're yeah. better off for not getting these crazy diseases you listed off. <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, as my mom used to say, we have done pissed in the grit. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it's like, you know, all of these things we talk about, glyphosate, all of DDT. I mean, for God's sake, there there is DDT in cord blood of children born today. And wow. it was banned in the U.S. in 1968. So what that means to me is it's in the water cycle. It's everywhere in the world. I mean, it's just, wow. you know, it, it's everywhere. And that's what it is. We really – so – but to your point, you're exactly right. Your level of toxic burden is far greater than mine and your dad's because you are born, you know, 15 to 20 years further into this massive load of toxins. And my granddaughter is 11. Her load of toxins is astronomical. I mean, and she, as a child, played with all these, you know, plastic toys from China and she started her period at nine because of all wow. of the, right? Because of all the endocrine disruptors she's been exposed to as a young child. But I think that's the issue is that, I mean, I got to be careful because my margin for error is thinner as I get older, but your load and people younger than you, your toxic load is astronomical for these guys. I mean, you know, here's this little, Three count, three kilogram marvel. She's low to the ground. She's sucking up everything that's in the dust, that's in in the house, that's outside. And so their level of exposure and their toxic burden is astronomically higher. I mean, we I think we talked about that. I think the average dog has something like a thirty some odd percent higher level of toxic burden than a human, and a cat has ninety six percent higher. Mm -hmm. So they're sucking up more stuff. So it's yeah. one of those deals, you know. You that was one of the things I didn't remember the numbers offhand, although I knew the cats was higher. That's all about. That's all I do. Um, but it stuck <laughs> with me last time. I, I never forgot that because we have, at least in my family's house, we have a dog named Macy. Macy's a Shishan, and she's about as small as the dog that you just brought up. And you know, I mean, the leg has to be this long. <laughs> right? so her cute little head is probably ten inches off the ground max, and yeah. you know, her paws touch the ground, obviously, and then she chews on her paw or whatever she's doing. Yeah. And I, I never, 
I was like, wow, okay, because I had asked my dad, again, he's a traditional landscaper, and he was very open to this, thankfully, you know, to stop using glyphosate uh, years ago around the house. But like before what we were doing, and that was the only time I connected it. I never even connected. I'm like, duh, what about the cleaners that mom uses on the floor, right? The hardwood floor. And I was always connected to, oh my gosh, she's running through the grass. Dude, her head's basically touching the grass and he had just sprayed there. And I'm like, this poor puppy's getting it. And then, I mean, my gosh, if you can't get motivated for that, I think everyone that's listening to this is probably a pretty good person. But if you can't get motivated for your damn animal, um, get a little selfish because if that dog's going to walk in and have all these cleaners on it, that dog probably sleeps in your bed or it's like in your face. So <laughs> everyone loses here. We got to be, we got to be smart. But again, it's about lowering that burden. Um, I know it's not the main point of the conversation, but I, I do appreciate uh, what you said about the generational thing, because that was something interestingly, I actually almost, it makes me sound smarter than I am. It's not a prediction, but I saw it at 18 because I was so damn sick. And I looked at all my friends and I was like, why is that? I almost had a victim mindset. I'm like, why is this happening to me? And then as I began, uh, began to understand the reasons for why I was sick, my prediction, so to speak was, Oh, it's not just me. I'm just mm -hmm. one of the first to feel this. I said, I literally said to myself, I guarantee by 40, everyone else is going to have this. Now, careful what you wish for, because what really actually happened is once they went to college and stressed their bodies out for another four years, because I didn't go, I, could, I physically could not have went to college. When they did that for another four years, everyone's coming back, Hashimoto's, cystic acne, migraines, all like it was the final straw. And then you look at our youth today. I think I told you last time I do the mental health speaking in schools occasionally for kids. And, right. you know, I don't mean it's has no, it's not a judgmental thing. It's just you can see when someone is not well. When I go into those schools today and I see the kids, I'm like, holy cow, what are we doing? <laughs> like the 12 year olds look terrible. They, they're they pale. Their skin's messed up. It's like, oh, my gosh. And yeah. um, it, it's just it's a perfect storm. And so, again, this is never too. Um, fear monger. It's actually the exact opposite. It's an acceptance that there's a lot going on. So we do the best that we can. We look for the best wins. And one of the ways that you could do that um, is by helping people have less stress because they have healthier pets. And so we need to talk about Dr. Robert's program today. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in what you're doing. You've had FDNs go through the program now, um, or course, however we want to call it. But a lot of FDNs graduate and they know they want to help people but they don't know what their niche is going to be. And yes, we can help them on the business side, but there's some people, and you're one of these individuals, obviously, there are some human beings that you can just tell when they talk about it, they are made to work with animals. That is what they're here to do on earth. There, there's such a cool relationship there. My fiance is one of them, man. She loves it. She grew up on farms. Her connection to these things is so deep. It's, it's very cool. I have a respect for it. I don't, I don't have that same feeling. Um, I care about them deeply, but it's just like, they are her friends. You know, they are her friends as much as any human being could possibly be. So with that said, you have a program that allows people basically to kind of become the pet equivalent of an FDN, right? You're becoming an investigator and someone that can actually help. So, and I don't want to put the words in it. Let's, why don't you define it for us? What does your course actually allow people to get I mean, certified that, in? That's, that's exactly the goal was to follow the human health coach model. Uh, so whether that's FDN, NTP, uh, whatever the other initials are, it, it doesn't matter. But the goal is, is that you get attracted to a way to help people uh, based on how you can go about understanding problems. So the goal with the Holistic Pet Health Coaching Certification Program was actually to help bring this into the veterinary profession. Well, veter and I did get 40 CE hours uh, from the race board. So for veterinarians and veterinary technicians, they get basically equivalent of two years of CE credits for doing the course. So this is not an easy fluff course, right? But what ended up happening is the people that really were devoted to getting into it are really passionate pet parents. They've been working with rescue groups. They are involved in other sort of pet paraprofessionals like groomers, dog walkers, uh, pet sitters, because these are the folks that see other people's pets on a day in or on a weekly basis, and they see the changes. And they felt they did not have the credentials to say, dude, your dog looks terrible. I mean, uh, excuse me, I had to put speaking of dog had to get down. So, <laughs> but so, you know, you've, these people 
and mostly women have seen these dogs at two years of age, all sleek and fat and happy. And at four years, they're looking like the kids you were talking about. They look dry. Their energy is low. They just feel like crap. And they are literally having bad poop issues because they're, you know, you know, we know the whole drill, right? They've got leaky gut, then they have skin disease, and then they have this, and then they have that. And the list of things starts escalating. So the goal with this program was to teach teach people how to use a home-cooked diet, real food. I mean, and that's the problem is that our food is sick. So how can we expect to get well if we're eating sick food? Uh, And then use various tests to help determine what food sensitivities might be present. Uh, And then we've got a wonderful uh, test available now that helps us look at leaky gut uh, function, digestive function, all those things that you would normally use, right? Sonulin, calprotectin, all that good stuff, IgA. And then combine these things together to help the pets heal using food, using supplements, and understanding that this is not going to be a once and done thing. This is going to take some time and effort. And you try things and see how it works. You take what's working, the parts that aren't, then you pivot and adjust. So it's a very similar process. But it's been really fun with the FDN students and the other uh, NTP students. They love what they're doing. And their frustration level is that when you tell a person stop eating Doritos and they, you know, they're like, I can't give up my Doritos or my bread or whatever the thing is that's creating the inflammation. It's really frustrating after a while. So what they're finding is that that same person is happy to do whatever it takes to help the dog feel better. And then they're like, Hmm, what was that you were telling me about not eating Doritos or whatever the suggestion was? And they start to incorporate that into their own lives. So it's another approach to one medicine, so to speak. Yeah, it's interesting how, <clears throat> I mean, I don't want to equate this directly, uh, but others may. People almost interact with their pets like they would a baby. And like, they are willing to do whatever it takes um, to keep these things as healthy as possible. And it is an interesting niche to have because, I mean, the dog can't really, it can only fight back so much, right? The pet can only fight back so much. Um, if you change the diet, you know, you might get some whining initially, but I, I think, you know, our, our pets kind of get over things a little faster than we might as humans. We're kind of big babies. Um, we've been given the gift of free will. By and large, like 98% of them are like, thank God, this is like really good stuff and it's delicious. And so they sit there in front of a slow cooker for seven hours drooling. (laughs) And they're very much like us in a certain way. They, They need similar things, right? But we're doing so much differently than what they were intended to experience, you know, if they were in the wild or uh, just even in slightly more natural environment, maybe like a farm for gosh sake, right? Now they're domesticated, living indoors full time. And it's, to me, listen, there's many things, unfortunately, that we probably could have done better. But with little Macy, the Shishan, she is phenomenally healthy. She is 12 years old, no health issues whatsoever. And I really, all I did, Dr. Ruth, was just try to do the best I could with the diet stuff because I was like 16 at the time. I kind of had, when we got her, I had an awareness of, okay, I just learned about like GMOs, for example. I said, all right, I'm going to get the dogs some better food. So I convinced the parents, they were totally down for it. And you know what? The other thing is though, too, I feel like when human beings, common sense, are more active, they also do well. And the biggest thing with Macy that I I think has helped her even as much as the food is, yes, she's inside a lot, but we have a two-story house there. She's very small, and she loves chasing the deer because there's deer all over my parents' backyard. So you'll hear, 12 years old, you'll hear her tear an ass up the stairs to go (laughs) run to my parents' back deck so she can bark at them from the back deck. And then she runs back down, still to this day. Her legs are so strong still to this day. My um, my sister has a bed there that, I don't want to overestimate, it cannot be any less than three feet high. Like the... The bed is legitimately three feet off the ground. And she has a little more hesitation now that she's older. But if I'm like, Mace, Mace, come on, you got to get it. You got to get it. She can, little Shishan can jump three feet. Yeah. And I think a lot of those things, like her being forced, although she would love it, she loves it, uh, forced to run up the stairs constantly, forced to jump on these things to chase the deer, eating half decent food. It's like, 
my gosh, we're already seeing what that can do for her. So I'm getting to a question here. And the question is, how wrong do you think we are in terms of estimating the life expectancy for our pets? Because I know with humans, I think we're way off the mark in terms of what we've estimated as possible for a human being with the knowledge of functional medicine, but also the gifts of Western nowadays. So are we just like completely off the mark with how long these dogs, cats, and other animals should be alive? That's a super interesting question. So I'm going to give you a little frame of reference. In 1990, when I started practice, so that's 33 years ago now, um, the average lifespan of a dog was eight period. And I would say now it's 12 across all breeds, but the difficulty is that the quality of life is not so great in those last couple of years, right? Because all of the chronic inflammation catches up and and all of that. So if we think about, for instance, Bobby, the oldest dog that lived in the world that's like 33, I believe. And he, so as long as I've been in practice, Bobby has been on this planet. Um, (laughs) But, but he lives with a Portuguese family and, you know, they don't have the big local store where you go down and buy the bag of food. The tradition is, you know, you just feed them what, what you're eating. And in Portugal, they do eat a fair amount of meat, but it, it's really interesting to me that all the uh, raw advocates are like, oh, he just ate what the family ate. Well, what the family was eating is, yeah, they're eating starches, they're eating potatoes, they're eating pasta, they're eating rice, but they're also eating fresh vegetables that are probably no further than 20, grown 20 kilometers away, and they're eating in season, and the food is, you know, well cooked. Generally, it's very stewy sorts of stuff. So this is really, and plus Bobby lives outdoors. So he walks all over the town with, with his dad uh, and, you know, and he's slowing down at 33, but still, I mean, my goodness, he's what, 167 in human years or something crazy. (laughs) But this is the point. He's lived that life of mobility. And I think that we see that in the U.S. So, for instance, my father-in-law uh, was an MD. He had diabetes and was very inactive. He still he was a Sicilian, so he lived to be 94 regardless. But his last few years were not so fantastic. His brother played golf, walked all the time, and, and Tommy is still going at 96. I mean, he went to Europe uh, two years ago with his daughters. And that's the difference in what happens if you remain active versus you don't. So the same thing with our pets. If all they're doing is sitting on the sofa and going outside to pee and then getting a treat when they come back in, their level of inflammation is astronomically higher than even Hyos who, you know, she has a broken leg. She can't, or some years ago, so she doesn't walk very far, but she walks, you know, three, we take three short walks every day and one long one. And that mobility is going to keep her healthier and happier, just like it does for us. So it's critical to exercise to improve our lifespan. Yep. And yeah, it's again, it's like weird. There's so many things that it was like with Macy, it's just unintentional, right? We never knew that she was going to haul up the stairs five, six times a day minimum. Well, I mean, she yeah. was younger. It's just, it was almost annoying. It's just all day. Every time she sees a deer, I'm like, okay, Macy, here's the problem. The deer are always there. And so all day, it's just barking and running at these things, protecting our family. So we're very thankful for that because the yes. white-tailed yeah. deer can be very dangerous, as you know. Um, Clearly. Very hostile creatures. <laughs> and um, so thank God she was there to uh, protect us from that. But yeah, it's like they're kind of the basic needs are very much similar to humans and we're not doing well at meeting our own needs. And so of course the, uh, unfortunately the animals are reflected in that. And it's sad as hell to me when I see, you know, a dog that should be 10 pounds and it's like 20 pounds and it's waddling around and it's almost on Instagram as it's cute, as if it's cute. And you know, everyone as a human being is entitled to do what they'd like to do. I'm not, that's definitely not a judgment towards humans, but the dog doesn't have a choice, man. The dog probably did not have a preference for that and to be carrying around double the weight on their little legs. So at the very least, we got to take care of them. And I think that's this odd you know, phenomena that happens when we were talking about how willing people are to help their pets, even if not themselves. We, we love them so much. We are willing to 
force them into the changes because of that love, but we haven't worked through all the stuff that we need to psychologically to change our own things. So breaking down this course curriculum, then like talking about some of the changes, whatever, I didn't even know that uh, lab testing was a part of this. I don't know if I just forgot that from last time or I didn't catch it, but let's say I'm going through the program. I think if I'm a listener now, I would like to know okay, what's the high-level overview breakdown of the curriculum? How long does it take? So I'd love to dive into that. Sure. So the course itself is designed to be completed in about 16 weeks. There's 14 modules. So there's a couple of weeks for breathing and catching up a little. And then students will have an additional month to submit all of the homeworks. And then the final exam is two actual consultations with clients that are video recorded. Now, the deal with the course is that the first two weeks is is related to developing a business. And I do that first because part of it is understanding who you are, what your message is, how you want to present that to people, who your ideal customer is, because that's going to take some thought and you're going to develop that those concepts over the over the course of the next uh, three to four months. And then what we what I do is jump into explaining basic concepts of functional medicine, basic concepts of traditional Chinese veterinary medicine, and then we focus on how do we use food as medicine. Uh, and one of the main tests we use is Glacier Peak's pet intolerance test, which looks at both food sensitivities of over two hundred foods, foods rather, and then environmental problem, you know, chemicals and all of that good stuff. So it's a great overview and it's a great roadmap and it's something the pet parent can do at home. And then what we teach, what I teach students is to uh, develop a rotation and elimination diet if the, the pet we're dealing with has a gut issue. And so in those first few weeks, the student has met with their mentor. They figured out the, and they do get, everyone gets assigned a mentor one and you can have weekly calls with this person. So the first two calls, the first one's onboarding. The second one is actually walking through a consultation process with one of your own pets. And so if we can see how to apply this for what's going on in our own houses, then it helps us to understand how to apply that for other people's pets. And then from there, we walk through organ systems. The gut is first because if the gut's not working, nothing else gets happy, right? Whether we think about that in functional medicine or traditional Chinese veterinary medicine, the spleen is the main digestive organ. And if the spleen ain't happy, nobody's happy. So that's the first thing to bring into balance is the GI system. And then we'll start working on the other organ systems um, and you know, walking through both functional medicine concepts, uh, traditional Western conventional medicine understanding of what's going on in those organ systems, and then traditional Chinese veterinary medicine concepts to help address the same series of issues. So it's the idea was to give people at least three perspectives from which to see a potential health challenge and options with all three categories to make sense of how to best support this pet. Does that make sense? Awesome. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I was I was thinking it really is like an FDN thing for pets. Um, I love that you talk about Ooh. the business side because that's super important. It's very lacking in many health coaching programs out there. You get yes. people with their heart in the right place. And so it's an amazing thing. But then you realize, okay, there's a business side to this. I got to learn another skill now on top of this health thing uh, to actually show or uh, to actually make sure I can show people what I know and deliver this message effectively and then take them on as a client and charge accordingly yes. because you don't want to burn yourself out by um, undercharging. We, we actually, we can only help the world so much by doing a bunch of free stuff. You're right. You got to charge for something and then you can give a lot away if you want, but you have to have a balance yeah. of the both. There's too many choose, choose givers. Yeah. Yes. Choose your yeah. charity. Don't let, don't let others choose, choose them for you. But yeah, I mean, that's exactly it is my goal is to get you the basics of getting started with all of this. We, and then, so we have the weekly mentor calls and then there are weekly coaching calls with me. Um, and that's where, you know, we can really dive into concepts that are puzzling to people. And TCBM is tough because it is such a foreign, it's like a, there's similar words like spleen, liver, all of that. But the concepts around those organs are very different from, from physiologic medicine. 
Okay. With the, well, I got to, I think this will light up everyone's brain that's an FDN. So I have to ask that food intolerance test for dogs. How is that administered? Is that you're getting blood or what are you doing with them? No, this is the beautiful thing. So what I've done is partnered with companies that we can send a test kit to mom, you know, to any pet mom, any pet dad, and they can do this. So the food intolerance test is a bioresonance test and you can say what you want about it. But anyway, I found it to be as effective as the blood tests and a third of the cost. And it's hair and saliva. Anybody can get those samples. And there's another company we work with that will do some of the testing that you're familiar with in, in FDN for zonulin, calprotectin, IgA, all of that. That's a stool sample you send into the lab. So this is the beautiful thing is that whether you want to work with people in person or you want to work remotely with clients, uh, you can order the test, have them sent to the, your client. They put the samples in the container and ship them back to the lab and you get results. But that's part of freeing us from the medical system because there's, you know, for instance, on the human side, you have any lab test now. So you as an FDN uh, practitioner could say, I can work with this company and they'll give you a lab slip and you can go to any lab test now and get these various tests drawn. That doesn't exist in veterinary medicine and it probably should. So whoever's got a bunch of money and, and energy to put into it, this is the next thing. Is any lab test now for pets, but otherwise you got to fight with your vet. Like for instance, with thyroid disease, for example, most vets will do a, a T4, total T4 and call it a day. Well, that's not the whole picture, right? So uh, then, no. <laughs> pet, then pet parents are having to fight with a vet to get a thyroid panel done. And we don't do reverse T3 in, in pets, but they need T3, T4, free T3, free T4, TSH, thyroid autoantibodies. And so clients are having to fight with their veterinarians to get this done. And then the vet's like, wow. (laughs) It's crazy to me that this is happening with the vets too, with the same thyroid issue. I actually, it was by complete coincidence, literally a a week ago, maybe to the day, um, I went into primary care office for probably the first time in five years. I think they said it was like 2017 to six, the last time I was there. And I just, I want a relationship with them because I actually technically, if I need anything, it's always going to be like physical therapy stuff. I'm always doing something stupid. And so I like having the relationship for proper referrals because they weren't really willing to do that anymore after six years of not being there. So I'm like, all right, I'll do the physical, whatever. And this woman that I was working with was nice as can be, as genuine as possible. She wasn't saying this condescendingly. She actually meant it. She was talking about like, do you not get blood work at all? I'm like, well, I do a lot of stuff on my own. And I, I even, I said this out loud, which I cringed a little bit because listen, I had diagnosed conditions and I don't have them anymore. And I didn't use Western medicine for that. So I said to her, I'm like, oh, I never pretend I know more than Western medicine, but like, yeah, I run some stuff. My mom has a history of thyroid um, issues and she had Graves disease. And so I run like a full thyroid panel and stuff like that. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, we'll have TSH and stuff on this. I'm like, oh, but nothing else, no, like, antibodies or whatever. She's like, oh, well, no, TSH is the only one that we can manage. And, like, that was her answer. And I'm like, but it, she meant that. But then on the flip side, and I've gotten older now, so I don't argue anymore. Well, with them at least. I, I definitely argue. My fiancé would have a different opinion on that. <laughs> um, but the, the doctors, I don't know. I've learned better than that's not going to work. But I'm just thinking in my head, I'm like, you can't manage that. But we know for a fact you can. Like, I've done it. I've done that myself with my mom's own antibody. Here's the difficulty is that, yeah, my wife and I were talking about this today. We're now in the generation, we're pretty good. You know, that's Mm -hmm. good enough, is kind of the modus operandi. And so part part of what's happened, and I'm by no means am I trying to throw my colleagues or MDs under the bus. I mean, I think what they're dealing right now, dealing with actually since COVID in their practice lives is absolutely untenable because the ones that are still left standing are exhausted and they're just trying to get through the day and do the very best they can. How good of a job can you do in six minutes with somebody that's got chronic issues? And so the deal is, is that they'll do these survey tests. And then when something's not right, 
then they send you to the endocrinologist who will actually run all of the tests you just we just talked about. But the difficulty is, is then how do they interpret that? So for instance, similar issue in veterinary medicine, right? But for instance, I am hypothyroid. I don't have Hashimoto's. I've done all those tests. I cannot tolerate T4. So with a T3 only supplementation, how does my TSH and my T4 look? It looks like zero because the mechanism is, is suppressed. And so what that does is freak out most conventional doctors without thinking through the fact that I'm taking only T3, which means that there's no need for T4 to convert to T3. So there's no need for T4 production. There's no need for T4 production. There's no need for TSH, right? But the problem is, is finding somebody that can think through that thought process. And and most of the time, this happens on the veterinary side too. If you put a dog on natural desiccated thyroid, they, they, the numbers don't come back the way they are expecting them to because the dog is getting both T4 and T3. And so they freak out and take the dog off the NDT. And then the dog goes back to feeling cruddy. So it's, yeah. it's difficult. But yeah. it's just, it's so hard. They're just they're working through flow charts and not thinking through what they're seeing in that patient. They're treating the piece of paper. Yeah, and I appreciate what you said because I, you know, I'm not in Western medicine. I never have been. And I, when I say this, I, I hope people get this. It's not a disclaimer. I really believe that woman was doing the best that she could that day. Um, she did not look like she was sitting on the fountain of youth in her back office and screwing me over at the front end. It's like the. I mean, you want to talk about people getting screwed by the system. Who's really in it? Me that goes in for six minutes and yeah, maybe I didn't get the best advice or the person that is constant stress, getting bitched out all day, living under the artificial light, getting the takeout food. And that's your life, right? Like that's, yes, you get paid well, but I mean, that was also after probably a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars worth of debt, you know, that you're paying off now. So it's not, um, it's not great for anyone. And I think that's why I don't argue with them anymore. I'm like, what am I actually, am I proving the point here? Is this going to be received, um, and is this person actually doing something bad? Is this a person person that deserves to be argued with? It's like, no, um, she was doing the best that she could with that information. I was just shocked to find that that I'm, I guess not shocked, but it's just interesting to find, wow, you can have the same issue uh, with dogs, running thyroid stuff, a similar issue yeah. where we're not looking at all the parts. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, what makes a doctor better? Sadly, it's when they get sick frequently because then they're like, Oh, this is what my patients have been dealing with. This stinks. I mean, it's just, it really is hard. When you go in the system and start experiencing that, it makes you change how you see things. And to be fair, that's how I ended up developing a lot of the techniques that I teach. I got sick. I got fibromyalgia. I got inflammatory bowel disease. I got C. diff. And figuring out how to treat those things without becoming a junkie, because that's what, you know, this is in 2006. And this is what I saw my clients with fibromyalgia going through. They'd start on NSAIDs for pain relief, and then they'd add in something more potent. And this is before OxyContin. But so they were ending up on narcotics like hydrocodone. And they're turning into junkies and they're trying to get me to write scripts for their dogs because they need more for themselves. That's tragic. What a waste of life. What a waste of, you know, of somebody's vitality. So the same thing with dogs is that we stay on, this is the way we treat it. This is our standard of care. Um, But what we are not seeing is that the standard of care ends up creating other problems. So the dog has inflammatory bowel disease. What does it get? It gets metronidazole, which is an antibiotic that can create neurologic problems. It gets steroids. It gets budesonide, which is another immunosuppressive drug. And then we watch its liver enzymes go dramatically crazy because it's been on steroids and other, you know, and so, and then we're treating this problem that's a side effect of this medication and so on and so on and so forth. And in the meantime, you know, the quality of life of this dog or this cat or this person has deteriorated to the point where there's no joy in life. And that's horrible. Yeah. I, I got to bring you on like once a week just because you have such a, 
amazing ability to take my tangents and bring it back to the actual topic, which I, I greatly appreciate. With, with that said, um, you know, as we kind of come into our final minutes here, one of the things I wanted to do is it's nice getting you back on because at this point, okay, cool. We have graduates of the program. We have people that are actually out doing their, uh, doing this now, um, probably as work or at least starting that process. So I'm curious if you have any, um, like cool testimonials, the testimonials could even just be things that have happened to their own pets. That's fine. But I'm curious if, uh, you know, offhand of anyone having success, like applying this actually as a business. So I'm curious for testimonials in any way. I'd love to know what's happening. That's good. Yeah. And, and so the, I mean, there's this is totally new. And part of the issue is that pet parents don't know that this exists. So we're simultaneously creating the profession as well as the awareness as we go. But the, from almost all of my students, they've had this experience. The dog is itchy. It's been on Apoquel, which is an immune modulating drug for years, and it's still itchy. They do the test to see what the food sensitivities are. They do a rotation and elimination diet. They use a little quercetin, a product we have called Histopause. And lo and behold, three, two to three months later, this dog is off of Apoquel, which has been associated with increased incidence of cancers. So that is like almost every student has that experience. And for other people, it, you know, for instance, they've had to work through, here's the structure I can teach you, um, but is this working for your pet? So for instance, Paris Reed, who is an FDN graduate, she like went through the entire course, all the materials in six weeks. And I mean, just, I don't know what she was doing, um, if she was just not sleeping or what, but, but her mastery of it became really quite amazing. And so she had one of these situations where what we normally suggest didn't work for her dogs. So she had to really experiment, okay, what is it in this batch of food that's not working? And so what she finally figured out was that even though pork is a protein that most dogs don't react to, because it has a lot of fat that contain mycotoxins and other gross stuff because of the way we feed pigs, um, that was the problem in the diet. So she had to be the detective for her own two pets to figure this out. Very cool. And I love what you, you know, I know that we were kind of joking with the no sleep thing. I think what happens, man, especially since you said the mastery part afterwards or, or developing this mastery, I went through the FDN course super fast and it's nothing to do. It's not that I'm so smart. It's not that I was not sleeping. What it, you get to a point with some of this stuff where all of us have passion. If you're in the right stage, it's an obsession, right? And Paris right. might have been working on something specific. I know for me, I'm like, I got to figure this out. And it, it was my own health issues. That's really what I wanted to know. It was selfish at first. And, and that's okay. It's not a bad form of selfishness, but I had to figure this out. And it was like, Normally I could study for maybe 30 minutes, something, and that the retention rate's like, okay. And then after that, it's like, I got to take a break or something. I was doing FDN and it sounds like Paris was doing this eight hours a day. I'm like, I have just as good as retention as I did at 30 minutes. This is crazy. It's because the interest was so high. The passion was there, the obsession. So that's amazing that you're attracting people like that already. And I think you're going to see that in the pet space. Cause yeah. like we said in the beginning of this podcast, there are just people that you know, man, they are made here or are made to be here with animals. They just love them and they interact so well. The animals love them too. It's the funniest part, right? They're the people that go to the new house and like the dogs bark at one person and then it goes and sits in their lap. <laughs> you yeah, know? exactly. They just exactly. kind of get that it's a safe person. It's a beautiful thing, actually. Um, so that's an awesome story. I love that you're getting, uh, you know, indirectly getting these dogs off this stuff. I don't know if this was the medication, but... I had to watch my aunt's dog the last couple of years. Unfortunately, it ended up passing away. Um, but when I watched it, I had to give it this pill every single morning. It was a, actually a few pills. But she always said it was because of the itchiness. And this poor dog scratching constantly. And I, is that the typical medication that's given? So it was probably, it was probably that. It used to, be, used to be steroids. And then I think Apoquel came out in... Uh like 16, 15 or 16. Okay. And you know, it's yeah. the news. It, it, anyway, that's a whole nother story. Um, but at any rate, it's a, you know, it disrupts the immune system in a different way. Uh, so yeah. that's going to happen. Cushing syndrome. 
had Cushing syndrome and it was still itchy. I'm like, what's, what's going on? Like, that was on prednisone. You gotta, yeah. we, so you gotta try the, something else. The, the fancy word for that is iatrogenic, meaning self-caused, meaning actually the veterinarian oh. caused it because it didn't. Okay. They didn't see that. Yeah, right. But it's just like, what cool. else do you do? And that's the difficulty: is that the reason we see people like Paris come into the program is because they are ravenous for the knowledge. And this, I think that my, many of my colleagues are very dogmatic about the way they approach things. And they haven't gotten to the point where they're really giving you the whole picture of how to go about solving problems for pets. And that's the whole goal with this. How can we take this dog, like your aunt's dog, who now has Cushing's disease and it's steroid levels are astronomically high. It's that liver enzymes are astronomically high and it's still itching. What can we do to help that dog? Yeah. And that's yeah. the so, and, million and dollar question. Yeah. yeah, it can be done. And I think they, they really deserve it. Again, there's, there's something different philosophically on the human side because we all have free will um, for the most part, it seems, and can make our own decisions. And so I'm less... Um, Especially as I just, I think about this more. And like I said, I don't argue with the doctors. And as I get older, I just learn to let people do their thing, right? They, they can do whatever they want as long as they're not hurting someone else. That's fine. But when I see a dog like this, my aunt's a wonderful person. She's doing the best that she can too, or was doing the best that she could with that dog. But I look at this and just think like, this is not fair, man. Like this animal did not ask for this, <laughs> you know, and it, it's going through all this stuff. Like we really owe it to the pets that we're taking responsibility for yeah. to give them the best that we possibly can with, with stuff like what you're offering. Right. And and to your point, your your aunt was doing the very best she could with the information she had, and she knew it was not a good solution, but she didn't know what else to do. And so that's the deal with this with the program is by training people to be holistic pet health coaches, there is what else to do. There are other options out there. And I think it is just critical to get this out there for folks because the way veterinary medicine is, is not going to get better. I think they're going to have 19% more veterinarians graduated by 2030. That is not going to alleviate the care shortage that we already have. Yeah. Well, I heard your alarm go off. I know we're uh, about to go a little over. So this has been great. Um, we, You and I end up talking effortlessly anyway. I'm like, when we first started, we're like, oh, we go for 30 minutes. And then here we are, normal podcast. Yeah. So Dr. Ruth, where can people find you? Um, where can they get signed up for the course? Again, I know every time we do this, we're going to have FDNs interested. So um, right where can they get your stuff? So Evan, you've got some links. You're going to drop in there uh, to the yes, Holistic Pet Health Coaching Program. And uh, my website is drruthroberts.com just so you can start getting some information. Uh, we've got God, probably, I don't know, 150 videos on YouTube. We've got um, easily that number of blogs on the site as well. So you can start doing some research and understand a little bit more about my approach. So it's uh, it's different from any of my colleagues, but I think you're it's a lot easier to to understand, I think, and implement. Cool. All right. And then if you guys go through the program ever, please, especially I maybe have to contact Paris. I'd love to have one of those people on and see how they're integrating this with FDN and all this kind of stuff. That'd be a really interesting interview. Yeah. You know what? I'll reach out to the FDN students and get them to connect you. with you. That would be an awesome podcast. Yeah, no, that, that'd be cool to have that that side of it. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for setting the record for the earliest recorded Health Detective podcast. Um, I'm feeling good. I'm ready. It's a good way to start the day. Right on. Cool. 